0: Welcome to Kerbalt Defied. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Jim Schultz. Jim studied at DePaul University College of Law, where he received his JD in Corporate Finance and received his MBA in Finance and Entrepreneurship at Northwestern University. In today's podcast, we will discuss his current position at Open Prairie and Dietrich Bank, as well as his extensive knowledge in entrepreneurship and investing. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on to today's episode. I wanted to know a little bit more about you besides that background of Illinois, kind of like what is Illinois and what does that instill in the people that are from around there? Well, I I grew up on a farm that my great-great-grandfather settled in the early
1: 1800s and five generations grew up on that farm. And uh, he was one of the uh, pioneers that uh, came from Germany and said, this is where I'm going to plant my flag in the ground. Um, I have a long, long family history, history in agriculture. I grew up in the... Town that was adjacent to that farm, a town of a thousand people. Uh, so, Illinois is is the breadbasket of the world for producing food, as as are other states here in this region. But uh, that's one of the things that distinguishes uh, the Midwest. And in this environment we live today, where there's a uh, food insecurity and geopolitical risk, uh, we're so proud and, and honored to be part of Illinois and, and continuing the legacy that uh, many
0: generations before me started. I think agriculture is something that most people don't necessarily focus on. When you're from a big city, you see all these bakeries, and that's kind of what you think of with the industry. But a lot of the innovation is really important because as the world expands, the land stays the same amount. And it's important for farmers to innovate and figure out how they can maximize their crops. And I think it's one of the areas that within the next coming decades is going to be full of innovation. How do you get plants to grow more efficiently? How do, you, how do you use water more efficiently? Can you talk a little bit more about some technologies that are coming out in the space that you're super excited about?
1: Sure. I, I think it's important to note that ag has always been innovative. It's, it's only become recently in the public media seen as an innovation opportunity. We, we Our family started in the soybean business in the, in the uh, early 1950s. Uh, soybeans were a very small fraction, less than 1% of production of U.S. agriculture. Today, it's about 30% or more of our world, or US production. So, so as an example, innovation has always been a hallmark of agriculture. Uh, I think what we've seen most recently though, and where I'm excited is about the, the use of data uh, and the opportunity to interface with the consumer to drive even better consumer choices and consumer information. And, and those are two areas
0: that we focus on today as we look at agriculture. Becoming a lawyer is not just getting that paper and now you're practicing law. It's about the mindset and the way that you approach situations. And similarly, I'm majoring in engineering. Once I graduate, I don't plan to practice as an engineer. I plan on working in the technology industry. But with that engineering mindset, the way that you approach situations, the way that you solve problems in many industries, that that's like crucial of the person when it comes to how do you approach the situations? And I think it's interesting that you mentioned how your dad was also a lawyer and didn't practice it, did that encourage you in any way when you were approaching college to, maybe I'm not going to become a lawyer after all? Or did you kind of initially want to be a lawyer and then you changed your mind afterwards? No. Day one, I knew I was not going to practice law.
1: And, and I actually remember that moment when I sat down for my first torch class at nine o'clock on a Monday morning uh, and said to myself, I kind of pinched myself, said, so, you really going to go through this next three years? And, and I thought it was worth the three years. Then, and I, th- I still believe to this day that it was a great investment of my three years to, to earn that degree and to use that degree in ways that uh, uh, probably are immeasurable relative to what I've done in life.
0: It's quite amazing that you had the support of your family to get a degree that you ultimately wanted to use to help you understand the industry that you're going to go into, as opposed to use it to practice what usually that, it, that degree is used for. Did that degree end up helping you with your early life in the investing world, specifically in the venture capital industry out of college?
1: Very much so. And and I think it it helps me in that I'm able to communicate at a different level with my legal counsel. I do have outside legal counsel that does most of my documentation, but I I think we bring more efficiency to that process because of my understanding of the law.
0: You know what it takes to be a good lawyer, and you came from one of the top law schools. Um, After Shortly after that, you ended up working for Dietrich Banks. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to become chairman and board of directors, as well as what you were hoping to get out of that experience? So Dietrich Bank is a bank that my
1: grandfather, um, unfortunately, took over during the Great Depression in the uh, late uh, 20s, early 30s. Um, He was selling seed and grain to farmers, and they were unable to pay, pay their bills at the end of the year. And over a period of a couple of years, farmers said, I can't pay you, but I own this stock in the bank Can I pay you in lieu of cash, give you stock. So he became a majority owner of the bank. Uh, My father was a member of the board, along with a couple of my uncles. And my father said, it's time for me to step off the board. I want you to go on the board. So I said, love to. It would be a great experience and love to continue the legacy. I was on the board for two years and was bored out of my mind, attending board meetings because we didn't do anything strategically. It was all tactical. So I went to my father and said, I'm going to step off the board and resign. He said, Oh, you can't do that. You've got to stay on. I said, I'm not staying on. Cause this, it's not any fun. It's not interesting. And he said, let me go to my brothers and sisters and see if we can make a change there. So he came back. So we agreed you're going to be chairman. You're going to lead the bank. And so I became chairman of the bank board at the age of 34. And we were in one community where the family business originally was was, a a town of 600 people, had 40 million in assets. And over a five year period, I went out and hired great uh, senior team leaders, particularly at the lending area, and expanded into five new communities. And we grew the bank over the next 10 years to 500 million. Today, we're about a billion three. Uh, I stepped out of the role about 10 years uh, into it because I was going more, uh, specializing more in our private equity and venture business and felt I didn't have the uh, time to commit to what it would take to continue to build the bank. So I still serve on the board, still serve on loan committee, lead some of the other committees, but but have taken a a, a step back role from, from what I was doing because now it still remains exciting and fun and we're on a good growth trajectory. We just had a strategic planning meeting last week and have aspirations to go north of 2 billion, um, so there's there's a lot of things that are exciting about it. I don't need to lead that. And I think that's one of the things that you, as as a future entrepreneur or an entrepreneur or leader, you don't always have to stay in the leadership role. You can some, sometimes you know say, hey, I've, I've accomplished what I need to and now let somebody else do it.
0: Yeah. You mentioned how you kind of spoke up and you ended up taking control of the situation and now it was in your hands to make the bank more exciting and have these huge growths that you were able to accomplish over the next decade what were the most crucial parts in me being able to have that 10 X return?
1: Largely, it was hiring great people. Uh, In the end, it's about execution. You can have a great strategy, but if you don't have the people to execute, um, it's just a strategy. It's just just words on paper. So I I think if anything that hopefully your listeners will, will take away is that having great team members hiring the best, uh, giving them the tools to be able to be entrepreneurial in their own right uh, is so important. So in the case of the lenders, we gave them a fair amount of lending discretion where they didn't have to come back to the bank or to the board or to the loan committee for approval. And I think that you know, is, is something not o- earned overnight, but I think think about that as, as you bring on great leaders, give them the capability and tools to expand their own
0: uh, careers. Wow, quite amazing. And for somebody from me who comes from a city setting, it's quite difficult to imagine how many facets there are in such an industry of agriculture. Because all you think about is usually where it's you get money from uh, people that you sell your grains to, and that's it. But there's a million other things that go into this industry, and it's amazing how you were able to kind of figure out what could we do more effectively here, what technology is needed, and then start investing. And that's one of the things that gives you the edge as an investor, as being somebody who's been there and got your hands dirty. Can you talk a little bit about how important networking was when it came to securing those first investors.
1: It's challenging. It, 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 there's a lot of uh, you know no's, and and uh,
0: you you don't take those as
1: uh, you know absolutely no. But but you know short term not now is the no. But maybe I can come back later and convince you otherwise. And so one one of the things I do a lot of and this goes back to communication um, skills is keep people informed as to what we're doing, even though they may have passed on investing with us. I found that a lot of them come back around at a later date and say, Oh, I like what you're doing. I like uh, the fact you keep me informed. And I encourage entrepreneurs to do the same. I I, I tell probably on a weekly basis, some founder or entrepreneur who comes to me for capital and say, don't, don't take this as a no today, or "Don't, don't take this as a permanent no, take it as a no today keep me updated and, and keep me informed. And I've had two cases where those entrepreneurs kept me updated. And ultimately, I did invest in their companies, it might have taken a couple of years, but it just wasn't right for me at that time, based upon where they were in their life cycle. So I, I really think if anything, that the entrepreneurs listen today, um, you know, don't don't uh, don't give up, keep keep fighting and keep keep communicating and um, you know, if you think that 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 investor is the right investor for your company, uh, more information doesn't hurt. And uh, uh, sending a you know, an Instagram comment or sending an email or t- text, whatever way you communicate, keep that person informed as to what you're doing, and maybe that'll come back around.
0: Can you talk yeah. a little bit about what you guys look at at Open Prairie when it comes to investing? So we tend to be more
1: focused in uh, growth stage opportunities, companies that have revenues, uh, have a pretty good line of sight to being profitable with our capital. Um, More specifically, as far as industry or uh, uh, areas, we look at in ag, we look at anything that uh, affects animal health, uh, crop production. Uh, We also look at data and utilization of data to help the farmer uh, drive better decisions. We also invest in ingredients. Uh, once it becomes an ingredient and goes down the value chain into a product or a branded product we're less inclined uh, but but our expertise our team that I've assembled over the last few years collectively has over 250 years of experience in food and ag and that's probably our biggest distinguishing competitive advantage I don't think there's any other fund in the country that has that level of expertise uh, and frequently we win deals not because we have the best terms in fact I've got cases where two or three deals where our terms were the worst terms for the entrepreneur, but they accepted them anyway because they felt we could bring more value. And I'll give you a real, real quick example. I think that brings that to, to case to, to, to home. Um, we were providing a $5 million mezzanine debt financing for a company. There were three other private equity funds offering a similar financing package. Our terms were 15% interest with 25% warrant coverage. The other funds were lower than us at 12% interest annually and 20% are warrant coverage. We were 25, they were 20. Um, after they interviewed us, they said, we're going to go with you anyway, because uh, it's going to cost us 150000 more a year. We think it will save that because we won't have to educate the other private equity investors on how to build this business. You can help us build this business and it's worth us to pay you more interest to have you at the table. So the, hopefully that gives you an example of a value add beyond just writing a check.
0: What is the best investing advice that you were given that was able to help you move forward with your business so efficiently?
1: It's a pretty simple term that's used in our industry a lot. Bet on the jockey, not the horse. The jockey wins the race. The horse just is the way to get to the end of the end of, uh, finish line. So, you know, I think it's, it's really about the people and the team. Uh, that's where we focus most of our energy. If you bring me a software technology, I'm going to, so to speak, assume that it works and it's a good product, but who's going to be helping execute? And do they have that ability, going back to the earlier point, to understand the channels to get the product and ramp it up and grow the business?
0: Wow. And it's quite amazing that you were able to use that mindset and network with people. And in 2015, the governor of Illinois appointed you as director of Illinois Department of commerce and economics opportunity. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the importance of that position, as well as if it gave you a confidence boost, as well as maybe if you had imposter syndrome getting that award?
1: Well, so Bruce Rounder, who became the governor-elect in uh, late 2014, um, I was the chair of his campaign. He's a friend of mine. And I said uh, uh, to him that I'd be happy to help him, particularly in what's called downstate Illinois. That's pretty much anything outside the five counties of Chicago. And so I helped him get, get elected. He won the election. And two days later, he put his arm around me and said, Hey, you're going to be my head of commerce. And, uh, I won't use the explicative I use with my friend, but I said, no. Um, he approached me again, uh, three more times. The fourth time I was in a restaurant in Springfield, Illinois, our capital, And, um, he had me in the corner of a restaurant and I couldn't get out. And, uh, But seriously, as I drove home that night, it was a cold night, about uh, uh, five degrees out, wind chills about 20 below, uh, probably eight inches of snow on the ground. I drove back home to my uh, home in, in central Illinois about an hour and a half away and thought about it and thought about my ancestry and what they had done to help settle this state and part of my obligation to help maybe give back. So. I I went home, talked to my wife. She went in the bathroom and cried for two hours and came out and said, well, if you think it can help the state, then I'll support you. So I agreed to to take the role as the head of economic development for the state of Illinois because I thought I could make a difference. I thought I could help grow the state and help promote the state in ways to bring new businesses in. And we did have success. I created a new private economic development corporation called Intersect Illinois that still exists uh, now, seven years later. And uh, while we've had a Democratic governor, uh, that governor's picked up and, and run with that agency as a way to help promote the state. So I, I feel that, uh, you know, taking that role was an opportunity to make a difference. And I think, you know, seven years later, looking back, I think we definitely have made a difference. And hopefully next generations
0: will continue to, to make that same difference. Can you talk a little bit about some mistakes that you made along your career and how you were able to overcome them?
1: Since I've mainly been involved in financing businesses, I think one of the mistakes that I reflect on occasionally, not a lot, because I don't think you can manage a business by looking in the rearview mirror. The windshield's where you ought to be spending more of your time looking. Uh, I invested in an entrepreneur that had never been an entrepreneur, had aspirations of being CEO, was more worried about title. And I invested personally $150,000 in his business. And within 10 months, that money was gone and there was no real value in what he created um shame on me that was my mistake i don't blame him for that uh that was my not paying the proper attention to growing the business and uh, uh so i i look at that as an example going back to the earlier thing bet on the jockey and 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 that's going to win the race for you
0: wow. thank you so much for taking the time and coming on to today's episode we want to end off the podcast and talk a little bit more about some books that you would recommend to Help inspiring entrepreneurs as well as people that are interested in learning more about the ag tech space.
1: So you know, I think there's there's um, uh, four four books I'm going to point you to that I think are good books to consider. Uh, one is by John Doerr called Measure What Matters. Uh, it's a great book on you know there's all kind of data flying at us, but really you, there's only three or four or five things you probably really need to pay attention to. So Measure What Matters is a good book. Another one by Bo P- Peabody. Uh, it's called Lucky or Smart, The Secrets to an Entrepreneurial Life. Um, probably my favorite book that I read when I was 12 years old. My second favorite book. I'm going to tell you my favorite in a second. My, my favorite book is How to Win Friends and Influence People, written by Dale Carnegie. I read that book at the age of 12, and I read it again at the age of 21. I need to re- re- rewrite, read it again. I still have the original book when I was 12 years old. But, but my favorite book, and I think the most entrepreneurial book ever written, um, has, has the following lines in it. I'm going to, I'm going to just read from it real quickly. Um, here, here are some of the lines and you'll catch it quickly. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the name of the book. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? Would you eat them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? Would you, could you on a boat? That book, my favorite book is, is, uh, this book by Dr. Seuss called green eggs and ham. If you're an entrepreneur and you haven't read this book, you need to get it and read it. Cause it's a simple 90 second read but it tells you everything about life. Keep asking the question, keep saying, hey, will you do it this way? Can, can I convince you to do it this way? Don't ever give up. And so, so again, uh, Dr. Seuss's book is, is, is the best entrepreneurial book I think that's out there.
0: Wow. Thank you, Jim, so much for coming on to today's podcast. We'll link all the books that you mentioned as well as some links for entrepreneurs that may be in the ag tech space that are interested in reaching out. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. And if you have something to say the, to the audience, now is your chance.
1: Well, again, I'll be redundant. Don't, don't don't let somebody tell you no. That's not the answer. That's that ultimately you're going to get. Keep pushing for yes, and you will get there.